mean, somebody break up that small group over there and have them sit down. Uh, good to have you here today. A couple more announcements for you, actually, before we uh, jump into the sermon. First of all, they didn't tell you, but they, they said you could go watch the rest of the Star Wars video. You really need to do it. Pastor Matthias makes his debut as Yoda. And you just didn't see it, so you, you don't want to go on the website, find the, the rest of the video. It's worth your time. Second thing is... Uh, if you've been thinking about uh, Nicaragua and what you could do next weekend after each service is a chance to kind of explore that possibility, there's hopefully a team going uh, this summer. So uh, next weekend, plan a little extra time after whichever service you come to is fine, all three of them. There will be uh, a time to get some more information about that. Do you ever wonder what uh, heaven is like? I do. I think about that. A few weeks back, uh, actually connects with announcements as well, I was uh, texting with my wife and my son about announcements. He is a uh, worship leader in Maui. I know it's tough, but he actually does work And uh, when he's not jumping in the ocean or waterfalls or something. But uh, anyway, he works in a church, and he has a very diff- different job description from mine. I mean, I'll do almost anything around Gateway except lead worship. I love you all too much to do that. And, but, but that's what he does. And then yet, every once in a while, we find that we're doing kind of the same thing on the same day. And so we got involved in texting about um, announcements in church and his church and here. And um, I was thinking about heaven at the same time. And this will probably just tell you how strange my mind is. But uh, this is how the conversation went. I sent out this to my wife and to my son. I wonder if the four living creatures ever stopped the holy, holy, holy song to do announcements in the throne room. Now, if you don't know, then in heaven, in God's throne, there are these creatures, and they're a little scary. I'll just warn you, they're a little scary, but they fly around, and they sing or chant, holy, 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 and when they're done, they start over again, holy, 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 and I'm thinking, well, maybe they do announcements. Somebody must do announcements, right? And so, you know, Chris and Melanie both said, he said, maybe, which means no, and my wife said, probs not, which means definitely not, and they're just being nice and humoring me, knowing that I'm already on this path. Who knows where I'll go? But so when they say no, I'm like, now wait a second, think about this, think about it, because there's some problems. If not, how will we know which of the 12 gates to go through to find the bookstore or the cafeteria or Hebrew class, right? How will we know our way? And my wife is rather prompt in texting back, Well, the women will just ask for directions from the angel on the corner or read their bulletin. And that was the end of the conversation. Ever wonder what heaven is like? What is the kingdom of God look like? Now, Jesus in Luke 13 has been teaching now for a long time about the nature of of his kingdom. The essence of his kingdom, remember, is available now. We'll think about how the the full measure of it is, is still future, but when Jesus arrived on the scene and began his ministry, he walks in the room and he says, hey, the kingdom of God is at hand. It's, it's within your reach. The very core of it is available to you now, even though the full realization of what his kingdom is like, for example, in heaven, it may not be accessible to us right at this moment. 
the essence of it is. And, and, and that's because his kingdom is not primarily defined by geographical boundaries or, or military governmental control or political systems, right? That's, that's not what it's about. Now, that's what we normally think of in terms of a kingdom. What's a kingdom look like? And he, his kingdom, is where he reigns in the hearts of minds of people who trust him relationally, for one thing, and second of all, let him govern their lives. Let him be king over their lives through his goals and his methods and his motives, his ideas, rather than our own. Jesus wanted, I, I trust you relationally. I trust what you've done for me. So why, don't, why, why doesn't my life become about your ideas? And there, the kingdom of God, his kingdom takes root in our lives. And yet, it's, it's still kind of tricky for us. Kingdom. We can't travel to it. Can't get a visa or a passport for it. You can't vote in his kingdom. What does it look like? Last week, uh, I think it was last week, Pastor Bob mentioned that we're just coming to a section of Luke where we're going to hit lots and lots of parables. These are pictures. Pictures, and many of them are pictures of the kingdom. So we begin today with illustrations of what does the kingdom look like then? If we can't go there, if we can't buy a plane ticket, what does it look like? The first one is that the kingdom looks like freedom. Now, don't think about uh, this like an American. Don't think about, you know, American freedom. If you do, you'll be putting yourself in the same place as the people who are listening to Jesus thinking, oh, good, his kingdom, he's going to kick the Romans out of Judea right? He's going to sit on a throne and set up something different than Rome imposes on us. Don't think that. Think instead like Luke 4 type freedom. When Jesus started his ministry, he said, the Father has sent me to proclaim freedom, freedom for the prisoners and recovery of sight for the blind to set the oppressed free. It's that kind of freedom. All right, let's go. Luke 13 verse 10. On a Sabbath, Jesus was teaching in one of the synagogues, and a woman was there who had been crippled by a spirit for 18 years. She was bent over and could not straighten up at all. Now, this is a familiar setting. We've, you might feel like we've been here before. It's because we have, if we've been traveling along with Jesus here through the book of Luke. It's a Sabbath day, and we're in the synagogue, and Jesus is teaching. It's happening quite a lot. Now, we might feel like, oh, this just keeps going, but the reality is in, in, in uh, chapter 13, we might look ahead and say, well, there's a lot of the book left, and there is, but chronologically, there's actually not much time left. Things are kind of winding down in terms of on the clock, right? And, and in fact, many people believe that this is the last recorded incident of Jesus' teaching in a synagogue, but it's, it's something we've been used to. And there's a woman there with a, this interesting, really interesting mix of a physical ailment and a spiritual warfare issue. She's under attack. Now, let's quickly summarize a few things we know. We know that not all demonic activity is physical, right? They're involved in temptation and thinking and all kinds of things that you can't see. And not all illness, certainly not all illness, is demonically energized. And yet for this woman, we see that both are true at the same time. And we don't know a lot. We don't know a lot about how that worked or why that happened. We just know it's true of her at this moment. And she is, for us, just an amazing picture. 
She is a, a, a parable. Her life is a parable all in itself of what it looks like to live outside of the kingdom of God. She is burdened. And just think about what this must be like. Every daily task is so difficult. She's always looking down. Now, that was about all I planned to say about her because, I don't know, what, what, could you, what can you think about somebody's experience that you haven't even seen before? But on Wednesday afternoon, it was kind of quiet around here, and, um, you know, we had some folks on vacation, and there wasn't much happening, and so I thought, eh, why not? So I got up, and I started walking around the office like this. And uh, I thought, well, let's see what I can learn. And I was amazed how quickly the observations came to me. And the first thing I noticed was that you actually can't see forward, right? You can only see past your eyebrows, right? So I can see about two steps for me. I can see a lot more of what's behind me than what's in front of me. And then I started walking around, and I thought, all right, I'll risk it. And so I walked out of my office, and I went over into Michelle's office in the main office there out by the reception area. And... Uh, kind of walked in, and I put one foot inside her office, and immediately I could feel her staring at me. And I'm thinking, oh, she's laughing. She's just like, what is Pastor Bill up to now? There's something new every day, his strange mind. Here it goes. Wonder what's going on. And I walk in her office and all the way around and across from her desk, and I sit down in a chair, and I look up, and she's on her phone. She hadn't even seen me. (laughs) But I didn't know that. It just felt like she's staring. That, have you ever had that sense? Like people are watching me. People are, are laughing at me. It, that's what it felt like. And it wasn't even true in that case because I couldn't see her. I found that uh, walking down the hallway was fine. I can only see a couple steps. But then I imagined, what if I was in a place where there wasn't a hall or a pathway? What if it was a big room or a, 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 a large field? You can only see two steps. And if you wanted to know for sure where you should go, you'd have to stop, turn around, which I won't do, and look backwards, right? Then turn back around and take two more steps. That's the best you could do. And, and, and I thought, well, what, what about bedtime? And it's, it's very hard to get... Actually, it's easier to get down than it is up. But I found once I got down and I imagined going to bed with this condition, you better be comfortable because there's no turning over. That's it. You're stuck. And on and on it goes. And, And, you know, I just figured that out in about 10 minutes. And she's been doing this for 18 years. 18 years. What a tough thing. What a tough thing. She is a picture of a shackled life, life apart from Jesus. Again, her own parable. There is a, without, without God, there is a, a focus more on where you've been. The future is just a couple moments ahead, and it's as far as you can see in the future, and your future steps are a fearful thing. There's no confidence and no certainty about anything in the future. The future is a scary thing, and, and relationships are awkward, and you feel like maybe people are laughing at you, and you, you, there, there's hardly any, you know, looking each other in the eye, and, and just relationships are so complicated outside the, the kingdom of God. They're so difficult, and the physical aspects of life can just consume all of your thoughts. 
apart from God. What a picture she is. What a troubling picture she is. Verse 12. When Jesus saw her, he called her forward and said to her, Woman, you are set free from your infirmity. And then he put his hands on her, and immediately she straightened up and praised God. Now, here we see why Luke would want to include this story in his gospel, don't we? There's some themes he's already been working with, and, and, and one of the big ones is that Jesus is seeking us. Oh, it's true that the crowds came to get a glimpse of him and to see if they could get some bread and, you know, that kind of stuff, but Jesus came seeking us. Now, the NIV, which is what you see on the screen, isn't really help us out here, but the language actually suggests that uh, Jesus is teaching, and then she comes into the room, head down. She probably can't see him unless she's walking in backwards, and then she can probably only see his feet. You know, I'm making this up. But anyway, she probably can't see him, but he sees her. He seeks her out. She enters, and he does what everyone, almost every one of you would be terrified if I did to you. Called you up front right now. He calls her up front because he seeks us out. And when she's healed, she has that most natural response. Anyone who experiences what Jesus does, you know what it feels like? It feels like freedom. Can you imagine? It feels like freedom. He says, straighten up. And here you've been for 18 years, and you've tried, and it doesn't work, and all of a sudden, you try, and your back actually moves a little bit. And you straighten up, and the first person you get to talk to face-to-face in 18 years is the Lord Jesus Christ. Wow, that's a good story. <laughs> wow. Now here is an amazing story. No wonder Luke was like, I'm not leaving this out. This is too good. You have to enter into her life and you have to see that moment. She straightens up and she looks him in the face and she does what absolutely anyone who finds freedom in the kingdom of God would do absolutely every time. Glorifies God. Praises God. What good stuff. Ah, So thankful for her life. Can you imagine? Think about what she endured for the glory of God so that we could sit here today and say, thank you, Lord. Amazing. But you know what? She praised God, but those who are in bondage, they're, in, they're shackled. They, they are not free to rejoice or to praise God about others who find freedom in the kingdom of God. Verse 14, indignant because Jesus had healed on the Sabbath, the synagogue leader said to the people, there are six days for work, so come and be healed on those days, not on the Sabbath. Not on the Sabbath. Now, a synagogue leader is someone, not this person necessarily, but we've seen a synagogue leader before because the, the, the synagogue was usually a small 
fairly small gathering of people who would come to study the Old Testament and, and the Mosaic Law and, and observe the Sabbath. And so they're coming, and, and there's really like no permanent staff, but there's someone in charge, and he facilitates kind of the order of things that happen. And he, he decides who's going to read from Moses and who's going to read from the Psalms and who's going to read from the prophets and, you know, who has a chance to speak. And so he's in charge. So he has evidently authorized Jesus to teach that morning. But when Jesus brings this physical illustration of his kingdom, that his kingdom looks like freedom, and he, and he heals her, he won't speak to Jesus, even though he's allowed him to teach. He turns to everyone else, and he says, don't you dare accept freedom from this man. Can you imagine? Can you imagine that? Now, Let's be uh, clear about something. Jesus didn't break any Sabbath laws, right? He only broke the rules of men. We'll think a little more uh, deeply about that in a moment. And also in a couple weeks, we have another story of a Sabbath healing, and, and Pastor Bob will help us with that one. But here's the thing about this man. He says there are six days, but he's really not offering her anything. He's not saying, come, please come back tomorrow and I'll heal you. Just don't do it today. <laughs> He's just saying, not today. I just don't want you free today. And this man is such a good reminder for us as we follow Christ that we can't fall into that trap of being people who are just against things. The kingdom of God is about so many things, but our purpose is something good, something wonderful. Now, as a result of what we're for, we do end up against things, right? We're against some things, but that's not our purpose. Our purpose isn't to be against them. It's to bring what God would have for someone in here. Jesus wants this, this woman to have freedom because that's what his kingdom looks like. That's what his kingdom looks like. Verse 15, the Lord answered him, you hypocrites, doesn't each of you on the Sabbath untie your ox or donkey from the stall and lead it out to give it water? Now, I know it's a little confusing because he opened with you hypocrites, so that sounds intimidating, right? But this is actually not supposed to be a hard question. This, this is not a trick question. It's supposed to be easy, but I was talking about this with someone first thing this morning. We were thinking, you know, how would it be to be a disciple after a while? Would you just not want to answer any questions because everything feels like a, like a trick? But it's not a trick. This is supposed to be, well, yes, of course we water our animals. Of course you do. You're supposed to, right? That's the answer. And that's what Jesus would want them to say. Well, yes, of course we take care of our animals. We don't make them go a day without food and water. That wouldn't be right. Not a trick question. He says, then should not this woman, a daughter of Abraham, whom Satan has kept bound for 18 long years, be set free on the Sabbath day from what bound her? When he said this, all his opponents were humiliated. But the people were delighted with all the wonderful things he was doing. So, you know, we don't really understand the Sabbath rules and, and that part of the Mosaic law. And quite frankly, we don't, we don't have to. We don't, 
need to in a way because we're not under the Mosaic law. We're not under the old covenant. We're under the new covenant, which is based on Jesus' death and resurrection, on his blood, not on the blood of animals. But, but we don't understand those. And so I think we have this from this, you know, even myself, even this place from, uh, of ignorance, we get kind of worried maybe at times when someone raises an objection in front of Jesus and goes, hey, you're breaking the Sabbath. We have this worry like, ooh, is he? But, but remember who we're listening to. We're listening to a man who is trapped in his own rules and, and, and it's dead and empty. And in contrast to that, we have the Lord of the Sabbath who wrote the, who wrote the law. It originated from his heart. Who do you think we should listen to? But we don't know that. So let's start with understanding what his argument is not. This is not what Jesus is saying. He's not saying, hey, you guys cut corners on the Sabbath law to take care of things that you care about. You know you're not supposed to water your animals, but you go do that anyway on the Sabbath, right? And this, this woman is more important than a donkey, so, so why can't I cut corners to be nice to her, right? Get the little wine in there. That's not what he's saying. That's, that's modern talk show talk, like, well, you did it, so why can't I? It's not what he's doing. Here's, here's his point. He, he wants them to go back and realize the intent uh, of the Sabbath laws anyway. The, they were about breaking yourself from your routine and your focus on your commercial endeavors. See, because here's what God knew. Here's what Jesus knew. If you just keep at that seven days a week and you never give it a break, you might come to some really wrong conclusions. You might just keep working and working and you might get greedy. You might just think that's the purpose of life. You might become to to think you're self-reliant, that you just keep working and you can accomplish anything. And you'd be wrong. You're always reliant on God. You might let the, your business ambitions take over your life. And so God said, stop. Stop and come back and remember that you're dependent on God always at all times for everything. You need to stop and, and break those, those spells. Yeah, you need to do a lot of work to take care of yourself and your family, but you need to stop. Or that might take over your life. You might come to some wrong conclusions. Now, when you come to that break... You definitely, not for yourself, but for their benefit, you need to take care of your animals. Of course you do. God says, take care of your animals. You're not going to leave them for a day without water. That's ridiculous. I created them. You take care of them. You're responsible for them. It's for their benefit. But now don't you go putting something on that donkey's back so you can get a couple extra dollars just because you say you're watering them. I'm not buying that. That would be work. Now you're cheating the system. Now you're going back to thinking it's about you and your job. This is Jesus' argument. The law not only allows you to take care of your animals, the law requires you to take care of your animals every day for their benefit, for their benefit. And this part is consistent. A person is more important than a donkey. And so not only does the Sabbath allow me to heal her today, the Sabbath requires me, it demands me to set her free today for her benefit. I'm not working. I'm not 
becoming greedy. I, I'm not becoming obsessed on my job or, or, or anything that doesn't belong to the, the kingdom of God. I'm setting her free. And that is what the kingdom of God is about. Its king sets people free. That's what he does. That's the first picture. Here's another picture. The kingdom looks like the unexpected. I wonder that morning when she got up halfway what that woman (laughs) was expecting when she went to the synagogue. I have no way of knowing. But you you would think that if uh, she regularly went there, her regular synagogue, we know what her synagogue leader is like, right? She was maybe expecting to hear what not to do that day. She was maybe expecting to think what's not possible or hear about what's not possible. But the king surprised her, didn't he? And I think he wants people who are now amazed by this miracle not to lose the opportunity and to challenge them never to underestimate his kingdom. Don't you underestimate my kingdom. You will be sorry you did. Verse 18. Jesus asked, what is the kingdom of God like? What shall I compare it to? It's like a a mustard seed which a man took and planted in his garden. It grew and became a tree, and the birds perched in its branches. Now, there's a lot of debate, and there's sizes of seeds and all this kind of stuff, but it really is pretty simple. This is this is almost certainly not the yellow mustard that grows alongside the highway, you know, everywhere, everywhere you travel. I noticed some on the way to the airport yesterday. Go, drive down uh, uh, 14, you'll see some yellow mustard growing alongside the road. Probably not that. This was probably the Middle Eastern black mustard. So he's just saying that, you know, you're gardening at home. A lot of you are getting ready to plant a garden. Uh, a lot of you are eager. It's looking like it's close, right? If every day it could be like last week, we'd get started, but you know better, right? Um, and so he's like, okay, so you plant your beans, and you plant your tomatoes, and you plant your carrots, and you plant your black mustard, and then you come back, and you collect some beans, and you come pl- connect some, uh, collect some, I can't remember what I planted, some of that, and some of this, and you come over here, and you're like, whoa, <laughs> look at that. Black mustard, 12 feet tall, and there's birds living in it, right? Sometimes you just have those experiences in your garden where it's like, look at that. Now, we don't plant black mustard, but we have that experience too. It's zucchini, you know? You pick this, hey, look at that. It's a zucchini. (laughs) We're going to put wheels on that and drive it to work. (laughs) You just have these surprising things. I mean, we know up here that sunflowers grow 12 feet tall, but one day you walk out there and look at that thing surprising. He said the kingdom of God is like that. It's, it's, it's just something, you, you might think it's something so small, but it'll surprise you. Don't underestimate it. Now, it would be really difficult. Uh, you know, you can't fault the people who are listening to them at the time, right? Just, again, we're in that synagogue. There's just a few dozen of us, right? Watching them heal, listening to him teach. Could you possibly have pictured this? You couldn't, right? Just one guy teaching some ideas, and you're wondering, I wonder if it'll survive past his own lifespan, you know? 
How many people will buy into this? How long will this last? Could you possibly picture going from that to hundreds of thousands of churches across the world, hospitals and schools built in his name, that 2,000 years later it would be popular to name children after his disciples and dogs after the powerful people of the day, the rulers of the Roman Empire? Right? Who would have pictured that? Nobody. We also named cats after the disciples, by the way. This is off track. But when I was young, we had a cat who had four kittens, so we named them Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. But dogs you name after the Roman emperors, right? Don't worry. He's listening. He'll get it. Cats after disciples. Now, the kingdom starts so small but it will end up being a place that blesses many, even birds living in the branches of a tree illustrate the extent to reach people so far away. Now, this is, this is true on the grand scale, but it's also very true on a personal level. And I think Jesus would tell us, now don't, don't you individually underestimate my ideas, my kingdom ideas. You don't want to do that either. For example, Jump to John chapter 8. Jesus said, if you hold to my teaching, right, my ideas, you, you, you really let my kingdom be the thing that guides your life. You make me king. Then you're really my disciples. And then you'll know the truth, right? And then you'll know the truth. So you're already holding to it, right? You're doing it. You're, you're testing things out. You're saying, hey, Jesus said to do it this way. And you do that and you find, wow, that's, what do you know? That's awesome. That's the way to go. That's, that's the way I should live. He says, then you'll know the truth. So it's not knowing here. It's knowing experientially, right? You'll have dim- see it demonstrated in life, and then you'll be free. Then you'll see that that truth has set you free. Don't ever underestimate my ideas, Jesus said. They, they might feel to you like a little seed, but they will surprise you. They'll surprise you. Some time ago, a couple uh, called me up, and they don't attend Gateway. I think that's why they kind of came over here for the anonymity and um, came in, and they wanted to talk to me. Uh, one of them had formed an, a, an inappropriate attachment with someone else, and they were coming in because they weren't sure that their marriage was going to survive, and they were in crisis, full crisis mode. And, and we, we started talking about that situation, and um, they were telling me about that. And, and uh, inside, this is what I'm thinking. I'm thinking, well, here's how it works. Didn't, didn't say all this to them, but here's, here's how it works. Here's what education and experience tells me in working with people. First of all, yes, there is, there's hope for you because God is, is powerful. God is not only a creator, he's a recreator, and he redeems things. This is what God does. He takes dead things, and he makes them alive. So absolutely, of course, there is hope. You feel so dead inside right now and, and so hurt and troubled and dark, but there's hope because of who God is. That's the first thing. Here's the second thing. This is going to take a while. This is a hard road. 
So you're going to need to do some things. You're going to need to make sure you're in the right environments. You need a small group, people who encourage you. You need to stay away from people who cause you to think selfish thoughts. You need to stay away from temptation, places that, are, that tempt you. You need to be together. You need to work on this really slowly. You need to understand that you're not going to trust each other. You're going to need to, to, to stay at it. You're need to going to have a lot of appointments in six, you know, two months from now. Maybe you won't feel quite so dead inside. Maybe, maybe the pain won't be quite so intense six months from now. And if you work on this... Uh, you know, eight months, a year, two years, you can rebuild this, do it. God can do it in you. And that's kind of, not that I say that to people, but that's kind of in my framework. Yes, do it. It's worth it. It's a hard road. So here's what I was actually hearing from them the, the first time. I was hearing a lot of really sincere repentance in that meeting. And, and here they were. Their, their world was very dark. But I was hearing this, that's what I'd call it, sincere repentance that just had a, a ring to it, a, a beauty and a light to it that was like, that's so attractive. <laughs> that's, that, that's so wonderful in the midst of all this darkness. So that was the first day. A week later, I came back. And I, again, heard that sincere repentance. And I heard a report from both of them that the other had now been also offering back a a really humble kind of graciousness. A humble kind of graciousness. And both of them were were so authentic sounding and so beautiful. And then a week later, they reported in, Yeah, we have, uh, we have something in our relationship now. Two weeks. Two weeks that we've never had before. And I'm thinking, that's not how it works. That's not how it works. But you see, here were two people who said, you know what? The, the, the kingdom of God calls us to sincere repentance and humble graciousness. This is what he calls us to in relationships. And they trusted that more than their fears, more than their anger, more than their distrust. They said, I will, I will, I will believe Jesus, that these are the things I need in my life and in our relationship more than what what my thinking says I need to defend or protect or go after or try and change myself or, you know, go to counseling with Pastor Bill forever. (laughs) And it was one of the most stunningly beautiful moments in all my years of ministry. I will never forget it. I know you face complicated situations, but Jesus says, don't underestimate. Don't underestimate my kingdom and my ways. They will surprise you. They will surprise you. That's what the kingdom looks like. It also looks like total transformation. Oh, that sounds like some kind of radio ad. But anyway, sounds like total transformation transformation. So you don't think of Jesus as just a, a, his ideas as a, as a grab bag of kind of take it or leave it principles. This one I like, that one I don't. Because 
Even though one idea, like the truth will set you free, it will go a long ways in your life, the kingdom has something else in mind entirely, total transformation. Verse 20, Jesus goes on. Again, he asked, what shall I compare the kingdom of God to? Oh, it's like yeast that a woman took and mixed into about 60 pounds of flour until it worked all through the dough. I don't make bread, but that sounds like a lot of flour. Is that? That's a lot of flour. That's a lot, a lot of bread. And she just puts a little yeast in it, and you know what happens? It takes over. Now, in the Bible, yeast is actually more often used in a, as a negative metaphor. Things like sin or compromise or corruption or evil. In fact, we have, I think it was in Luke, John, uh, Jesus saying to the disciples, watch out for the yeast of the Pharisees, right? Their thinking is corrupted. Their thinking is shallow. It's dead, like the synagogue leader. Watch out for that stuff. Here, it's a, it's a positive thing. The yeast itself is the, is the kingdom of God or of, of heaven, and he says, you know, it might just be a, a little thing, but it, it's going Im- to impact the whole, the whole batch. That's what yeast does. It doesn't stop transforming things until it's worked through all the flour it has access to. And the kingdom of God has its sights set on everything in our world. Everything. Language and music and art and entertainment and business and finance and politics and media and education. All of these things, everything around us needs, cries out for a wise, righteous, gracious king to rule over them, to transform them. The kingdom wants to work into all of these like yeast works into flour. Now, to have that happen in our world the way it is today will require his return. The Bible says that he's coming back and he will complete the work of his kingdom. But we don't want to lose the fact that, again, Jesus, when he showed up, said, nevertheless, the kingdom of God is at hand. It's, it's here. It's accessible to you, the essence of it, right? The principles on which you will live in heaven are how you should live now. Yeah, you can't walk into the throne room. You can't see the four living creatures yet. You can't hear the holy, holy, holy. But how things work, you can live that way. You can live the way Jesus taught us to live because that's how we'll live in heaven. That's how things work. You know, those of you who have uh, walked with the Lord for a long time have recognized that this is true, that it eventually, you know, he wants into the whole batch, right? Maybe you are newer to Christ. You're thinking about whether or not you should follow him, whether or not you should trust him and have a relationship with him. I'll just give you a heads up. This is kind of how it works. You you start off with just something. Let's take uh, time, for example, and you think, uh, okay, so Jesus wants a little bit of time. Uh, this whole thing about going to worship, that seems like a good idea. Sing a little bit, you know, we'll, we'll study a little bit, we'll look at some Scripture. That seems like a good use of an hour, hour and a half, whatever it is. And you start there, and then you realize one week as you're hearing that Jesus, he, he has ideas for other hours, like your work hours. He has ideas about how to go about how you work. And you think, oh, well, he wants the kingdom in those hours too. And, and, and then you think, uh, you realize at another time that uh, maybe Pastor Bob's teaching is like, well, Jesus wants into my free time. 
and he wants into my private time. And you're like, well, when does this stop? He's like, does he get all of it? <laughs> yes. You got it. There it is, right? He wants, to, he wants to set you free in all of these parts of your time. Or, or money, you know, you start off and there's the auction, like, hey, five bucks isn't too bad. I could do that for some kids to go to camp. And you start there and then you realize, well, let's take a big jump here. You hear something about tithing. That's like 10% and what, helping. Wow, that's a, that's a big jump, but okay. And you go there and then you realize, actually, he, it's not about giving him money. It's about my values, about finances. He's after that. Yeah. Or actions, you think, well, okay, so God wants me to clean up a few things, and you know, but it doesn't stop there. It's not about your behavior. If we just stop there, we're just right back in the synagogue with the synagogue leader. It's not, it doesn't stop with your actions. Jesus actually wants to change the way you think. <laughs> Romans 12, you'll be transformed by the renewing of your mind. I want you to start thinking kingdom-type things. And he doesn't even stop there. It's like the illustration Pastor Bob gave last week or the week before. Uh, the woman who said, hey, you know, you'll learn Span When you love these people, you'll learn Spanish. Jesus is like, that's what I have in mind, right? When you start feeling like I feel, you do kingdom stuff. You'll be free. You'll be free to do, to be exactly what I made you to be, a member of the kingdom of God. Yeah, the kingdom looks like total transformation. It's after everything. I like how Romans chapter 6 talks about this idea. It says, be, But thanks be to God that though you used to be slaves to sin, bondage, shackled, looking down, looking in the past, You've come to obey from your heart the pattern of teaching that has now claimed your allegiance. Notice that? It's from your heart, and it's a pattern of teaching. It's, it's Jesus' kingdom ideas that you've embraced, and they claim your allegiance. You're committed to that. And he says, now you get to that place, you've been set free. You've been set free from sin and have become, as it were, slaves to righteousness. And that's a good thing. That's freedom. Hopefully you like the sound of that. Righteousness is a good thing. It's not a snobby nose-in-the-air thing. That's goodness. That's wholeness. That's healthiness. Relationships. With God. With people. It's a good thing. Been set free to be who you were meant to be, and that's what the kingdom looks like. Let's pray. Father, thank you for uh, this woman. We just are uh, humbled again. Her life was invested in an opportunity that uh, down through history others could be encouraged, that in a moment in time you set her free and, and we could be lifted up by that today. Thank you for all that it took for her and her story to be lived out in that manner that, that it would glorify you. Father, we want to walk that path as well. Wherever we are in our life story, we ask that you would set us free. Whether that is right now for the first time in, in trusting the Lord Jesus and his death for us, his payment of sin for us, or, or whether that's 
much farther down the road and just saying, yes, come to my life and let me live in your ways to experience the freedom of your kingdom, the glory of your kingdom, the goodness of your kingdom. In Jesus' name, amen.